Welcome back. This is Sam. And this is Kareen, and we are two Ankh Docs. I hope everyone had a restful long weekend, and we are ready to dive in to a two-episode on localized and metastatic prostate cancer. And so today's episode is going to cover localized prostate cancer, and this will include important details on workup, staging, and treatment. Definitely. Happy belated 4th of July to everyone who celebrates and let's kick off going over prostate cancer. This is a very high yield topic because many men are affected by prostate cancer. Thus, it's highly testable on your internal medicine boards, your hematology, oncology and training exams, and also your hemonc boards, but also most importantly in the real life because you will see or know men who are affected by prostate cancer. So to start us off, when someone is diagnosed with prostate cancer, what are categories we use to determine treatment algorithms? So first off, I want to explain what Gleason means. So you may see the Gleason score on the pathology report. And so basically this refers to how abnormal your prostate cancer cells look and how likely the cancer is to advance and spread. And so a lower Gleason grade means the cancer is slower aggressing, slower growing and not aggressive. And so we use the numbers one to five to grade the most common or primary type and the second most common or secondary pattern of cells found in a tissue sample. And that is what the two numbers represent. And so it goes from grade one to five and one look like normal prostate cells and five look the most different from normal prostate cells. And then you add the two grades together and that's your Gleason score. And so cancers will have a score of six or more. A score of seven means that the cancer is intermediate and a higher score of eight to 10 means that the cancer is more likely to spread. Definitely. It's important to remember back to our histology classes in medical school to picture these Gleason scores and you can always doctor Google them and you get a really nice depiction of what Kareem just explained, how it goes from looking very similar to prostate cancer cells versus looking very ugly. So how is prostate cancer staged? So we have our TNM score. And so T1 are tumors that are not visible by imaging. T2 are tumors that are within the prostate with 2A being less than half a lobe, 2B being more than half a lobe, and 2C involving both lobes. T3 extends through the prostatic capsule, and T4 is fixed or invades adjacent structures. And so first stage one to three, the way that we're going to treat is also going to depend on the PSA level and the grade of the tumor. And then one important thing to know is stage 4A are positive lymph nodes, including regional lymph nodes. So that is different than other cancers where your positive lymph nodes, maybe your stage threes, these are actually stage 4As in prostate cancer. And then stage 4B are any distant metastasis, including non-regional lymph nodes. I think remembering that stage 4A is positive lymph nodes in prostate is very important because that's very different than other solid tumor staging. And so a very common question that we get is who needs a bone scan as part of their staging workup? So this was a question on our exams. So remember that T1, so within not visible by imaging and a PSA more than 20 need a bone scan as well as T2. So if it involves the, just the prostate lobe with a PSA more than 10 or a Gleason more than eight, these all need a bone scan. Definitely. And who needs pelvic CT or MRI as part of their staging workup for localized prostate cancer? So there are risk stratification tools that can predict the positive involvement of lymph nodes. And so if it's more than 10% or more than T3, so invades the capsule, you're going to do a pelvic CT and MRI. Now that we've discussed staging, what are treatment options for localized prostate cancer? So you need to consider life expectancy and comorbidities when approaching each of these treatment options. And so there are calculators out there to help predict life expectancy. And then you're going to be treating based on risk stratification groups. 
And so there are a lot of details to all of these, and there's a very detailed table on NCCN, but I'm going to try to group them to make it easier to figure out how you're going to treat these patients. And so the very low or low risk are going to be PSA less than 10, Gleason less than or equal to six. These do not need ADT. That's also known as androgen deprivation therapy. And so if they're describing an elderly patient with many comorbidities, they're probably going to have a less than 10-year life expectancy. You're not going to do anything. If they're describing a young fit patient with these low-risk features that may have a more than 10 to 20-year life expectancy, you can either do surveillance or radiation in the form of EBRT or brachytherapy, or you can also consider surgery in the form of prostatectomy. The next group is intermediate risk, favorable and unfavorable. And those are going to be the patients with a PSA of 10 to 20 that are T2B or more or a Gleason 7. And so these patients are going to get radiation in the form of EBRT or brachytherapy, or they can also get surgery in the form of prostatectomy. And the ones that are at highest risk are going to get four to six months of ADT. And then finally, our last group are going to be the high or very high risk and those are the patients that have a prostate cancer that extends through the prostatic capsule or adjacent structures, have a PSA more than 20 or a Gleason of 8 to 10. And those are going to be considered for radiation in the form of EDRT with two to three years of ADT. And then you can also consider brachytherapy. And those patients may actually even be considered for docetaxel in limited situations. And then finally, if you have regional N1 disease, those stage 4As, those patients can also be considered with radiation, with EBRT and ADT, and maybe also considered for abiraterone with prednisone, which we'll talk about more in the next episode. Mm-hmm. So like Kareen said, there is a beautifully well-detailed NCCN guidelines um, graph in there, but I actually like these lumped together in smaller categories because it it makes it make more sense. And actually you can think about the patients or the vignettes through your questions easier. Most of the time, the very low and low risk prostate cancers are actually seen and managed by the urologist. And we usually don't see them as medical oncologists until they're intermediate high or very high risk. But that being said, you're expected to know all of these and you will be tested on all of these. So I also think it's really important to know the side effects of surgery and radiation. So can we go over those? Yes. So the side effects of radiation can include bowel dysfunction, can include urinary frequency or dysfunction, and also proctitis. And then the side effects of surgery or prostatectomy can include both sexual and urinary dysfunction. And so it's important for the urologist and the radiation oncologist to discuss these treatment options and the side effects. And then if you end up having surgery and the margins are positive, there may also be considering consideration for radiation after. And then if there are positive lymph nodes after surgery, you may also consider ADT. A good rule of thumb is that in any vignette with any cancer, if you have a positive margin, you may probably want to be considering radiation. Agreed. That's a good thing to remember. And also it's important for the patients to understand these risk factors because it's huge quality of life for these men. So you also mentioned ADT as part of adjuvant treatment for localized prostate cancers that are higher risk. And so what types of ADT do we have and what are the side effects associated with those? So most of the ADT are injections. And so we have our LHRH agonists, which are luprolide, gosarelin, and triptorelin. And extremely important to remember is that the agonist can cause a testosterone flare. And so these patients need bicalutamide to prevent the flare before starting ADT for two to four weeks. 
they love to ask this and it comes up on mm-hmm. both the internal medicine boards and the onc boards. And then the next category are LHRH antagonists, which is Degarelix does not have a flare. You don't need bicalutamide. And then there is a pill option as of a few years ago called oral relugolix. Um, and that also doesn't have a flare. So you don't need bicalutamide. Mm-hmm. And the general side effects of EDT are fatigue, hot flashes, decreased mental sharpness, anemia, mood swings, skin changes, and diminished sex drive. And so it's really important to counsel patients and sort out how you can best improve their quality of life if they have these side effects. And I often describe it to my patients kind of like a menopause. Yeah. I lovingly describe this as to my patients as manopause. If they're with their wives or significant others, they usually get a laugh about it. And the men kind of look at me stone cold because they had to live with their wives going through menopause. Um, and so I think another important thing to note is these aren't permanent side effects. When the ADT stops things, the testosterone goes up and these side effects do go away. And also touching on that testosterone flare with the LHRH agonist is so important. I think the vignette that I always bring to mind is if there's a bone met, if you just were to start them on LHRH agonist, would they be at risk for cord compression? So having the bicalutamide on board beforehand is so important. And so what is the surveillance for these patients after treatment? So after localized treatment, you're going to do a PSA every six to 12 months for five years. And then after the five years, you can do it once a year with a yearly DRE. Definitely. And if the PSA rises during this surveillance, what is our management options then? So first of all, it's really important to know the doubling time of the PSA. And so if the doubling time is less than 10 months, we know that this is a clinically relevant change. And this is something that we want to treat and be more aggressive with, because we know that if we don't, the time to metastatic disease is much less. So in these cases, when the PSA doubling time is less than 10 months and the PSA is over 0.2, you're going to restage those patients with the CT scan and a bone scan. And so in terms of what to do, if the PSA doubling time is less than 10 months, if they've had radiation, you're going to do surgery. And then if they've had surgery, you're going to do radiation and or ADT. And then finally, if the restaging imaging reveals metastatic disease, including in the lymph nodes and the testosterone is still low, you may consider this to be metastatic castrate resistant prostate cancer. And we will go over this treatment paradigm in next week's episode. This is a lot of great high yield information. And what are our takeaway points for localized prostate cancer? So it's important to know the basics of staging for prostate cancer based on our TNM stage, along with the grade, the PSA level, and the Gleason score in order to restratify patients. Remember when you get a bone scan, so our T1s that are not visible on imaging with a high PSA more than 20, or the T2s that's within the prostate lobe with a PSA more than 10, or a Gleason more than eight, and then taking into account life expectancy when you're determining treatment options. So if they're giving you an elderly patient with comorbidities and a PSA less than 10, Gleason less or equal to six, they're likely going for observation as the treatment choice. On the flip side, if they're giving you a 50-year-old with prostate cancer invading the prostatic capsule with a Gleason more than eight, a PSA more than 20, you're going to need local treatment in the form of radiation and likely adjuvant ADT for two to three years. Remember the EDT types and their side effects, and absolutely remember that for LHRH agonists like luprolide, gosarelin, and triptorelin, you need to give bicalutamide two to four weeks before to prevent the testosterone flare. And then during surveillance, pay attention to the PSA doubling time. If it doubles in less than 10 months, you need to restage the patient. 
Definitely. I just want to make a note that the boards love when observation is the answer. So it does not happen often in solid tumors, but we should know all of those instances that observation is the right answer when you walk into your boards, including the one here in prostate cancer. When patients are elderly with comorbidities, you observe them instead of intervene on them. And then also, I think knowing that PSA doubling time and what it's associated with prostate cancer is just so high yield. And again, this is a great high topic, not only for our boards, um, our in-training exams, but also in the real world, because this is a disease that affects many, many men. And so we will know and be treating these patients. So as always, thank you guys so much for listening. Good luck with studying for your boards. And please feel free to reach out with us with any corrections, comments. And if you guys want to hear about anything in our upcoming episodes, you guys can reach out to us on our Instagram, 2OncDocs. We'll see you next week for a metastatic episode.